blessings. God so freely gives them, continually gives them, and as undeserving as they are, they should be continually counted. Don't take them for granted. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look together at verse number 5. I appreciate our sound men. I know they try to do the best that they can. Um, it's not uh, fun necessarily being put on the spot uh, when we're trying to get something going, but I, I don't say it enough. I do appreciate them each week and working at different things, mostly behind the scenes, uh, so that we can have them uh, in the front. And so thank you, men, for, for what you're doing and uh, appreciate that very much. First Peter chapter 1, let's look together at verse number 5. The Word of God says, "...who are kept by the power of God through faith and to salvation." ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejo rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory." Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Look together with me in verse 13, same chapter. The Bible says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy. For I am holy. Let's pray. Our heavenly gracious Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you uh, that we can learn from it, that we can glean from it, and Lord, that we know with confidence that this is the message that you have for us, all of your word is. And so Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, may you use me, help me to say only what you'd have me to, for me to say. Uh, may you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, give uh, uh, understanding and attention to each and every believer here today, and Lord, I pray that if there would be someone here that is lost, they've never received you, they've never settled in their heart that heaven is their eternal home, Lord, may today be the day of their salvation. Lord, we ask and pray all this now in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever asked yourself, what if you knew when every moment would be your last? What if you knew when every single moment of life might be the last time that you ever had done it? When I think of my own life, I think of uh, the last time I hugged my grandma. Even for all those times that uh, she would hug me, and as much as I might try to pull away, she'd take her, her big juicy kiss and just suck my cheek out, it seemed like, and it just seemed like the most gross and nasty thing ever. Uh, but if I had knew that was the last time I would have ever received a hug from my grandma, boy, it would have made a little difference uh, in that hug, let alone the time which I had spent with her. Uh, sometimes you think about other people maybe who have passed that you love, a spouse uh, or a child. Um, uh, other times it's just uh, um, memories. You know, so sometimes we take for granted things that have happened in our past and, and we uh, only but realize down the road that, man, I haven't done that since then. That was the last time I've ever done that. Uh, or, you know, I know for us, one, one of the things that we talked about the last time was just our, our recent vacation that we took. And uh, by the last day, you're saying, man, this is the last day in which we just get to relax, right? And then we have to pick up and live life again, you know, <laughs> live normal life. And 
but uh, uh, you know those last times, um, you know, is, I was reading of some uh, just funny things that uh, famous last words of individuals. And I don't think this is referenced to any specific people, but just funny thoughts when you consider it. Uh, one phrase is, I, I wonder whether this rope will hold my weight. Or, listen, that's the train whistle. Let's step on the gas and we'll beat it across. Not very good last words. Or, watch me skate past the danger sign. Uh, and I'll bet I can touch it. <laughs> or how about this one? I wonder if it's loaded. I'll look down the barrel and see. <laughs> or how about that firecracker must have gone out. I'll light it again. Uh, there, there are sometimes those last words really can come back to bite us. They really can come back to hurt us. You know, someone once calculated how a, 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 a typical lifespan of a 70-year-old is spent. And it's interesting when, when you consider that 23 years and or 32.9% of every individual aver on average is spent sleeping. That's a lot of time sleeping, okay? Some of us could be more than that for some of you that love your pillow very, very much, right? Uh, it's also estimated that 22.8% or that's 16 years uh, on average uh, is spent in work. Now, for some of us, it's more than that, undoubtedly. Uh, some of us may be less than that. More power to you, early retirement. Uh, but uh, that's already 50% of your life, sleep and work. The other percentages I know can differ for some, but um, eight years, 11.4% is time spent uh, on watching television. Six years or 8.6% eating. That's a lot of years eating, okay? But boy, we can spend some time doing it. Uh, six years or 8.6% traveling. Uh, 4.5 years or 6.5% in leisure. Whatever that's defined in leisure, all of us it's different. Uh, four years or 5.7% in illness. Isn't that a terrible thought to think about? You spent four years of your whole life just being sick. And uh, uh, two years or 2.8% dressing. And I guess uh, that's uh, uh, of those portions of our life where we can't figure out what to wear or maybe we're just getting older and it takes for forever to put our pants on. I don't know. But uh, uh, 0.5 years or 0.7% uh, religion. And that's, again, a total of 70 years. Now, is that exact for every individual? No. But I would probably say that first half is pretty close and near. That sleep and work would define really much of the time in the years of a person's life. I wonder, when you consider those last things, those last times, uh, what, um, what do you think about God when it comes to those last times? It's Peter who brings this thought out not just once, but multiple times in this passage. Look at verse number 5 of 1 Peter 1. He says, uh, Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to re be revealed in the last time. He says yet again in verse 7, The trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There's that last time again. The Bible tells us in verse 9, Receiving the end of your faith. There we go, yet again, the last times. The Bible says in verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and hope to, to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter tells of, uh, of these last times, but things which were taking place during these last times. I'm taking to mind, this is Bible times, okay? This is uh, during the the. the the times of, uh, of Scripture, but uh, so some of the things that are happening then might differ a little bit from us, but in the generality of it, 
the, the, the charge that is given, the encouragement that is given, and the challenge that is given applies to all of us just the same. I want you to understand with me that uh, as Peter tells these, of these things that will come, the first emphasis he begins on is the trials of life. Trials will come. Trials will come. It's without a doubt that if you live to any capacity, you would understand and know that there are some times of life that are just hard. Uh, how, how many of you enjoy those hard and difficult times? Uh, I don't think any, if you enjoy those hard and difficult times, then there's something wrong with you, okay? Uh, nobody enjoys those times. Uh, but there are trials. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible tells us that Peter, uh, to whom Peter is writing, the Bible says, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered. These are the Christian believers. Why are they scattered? They're scattered as a result of persecution. Boy, we think we have it bad today. There was persecution, yet still then in Bible times. And the Bible does promise us and assure us and, and instruct us that sin and the, the, um, uh, the resistance of God is only going to wax worse and worse. So Peter thought it was bad in his day. We think it's bad in our day, but the Bible tells us there is going to be a, verse 5 tells us, a last time. Well, if you knew that this was going to be the last day that you would live on this earth, what difference would that make in your life? Let's take it a little bit wider. If you knew that you were going to have one more week until Christ would return, what would you do during that week? Would you quit your job? Would you... Uh, spend time in your Bible? Would you start praying together with God, maybe more? How much different would your schedule change just because you knew of, the Christ, of Christ's coming in its specific day? And I say to you, we know of Christ's coming and the fact that it is imminent. He will come, and he could come at any moment. The Bible tells us, as a thief in the night, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, Christ, Christ will come and he will return and all those who are believers will go right up to be with him. To what capacity that will happen, we only know that uh, all that's on this earth will be left. Christian, why is it that we can so know of the coming of Christ and so not live with readiness for his coming? It's when you read of Paul's writings to the church of Thessalonica in First and Second Thessalonians, he says, uh, is, is it not obvious unto you that Christ is coming? Christ is, uh, Christ's return uh, could be at any moment. This should affect the way in which we live our lives. And it should affect even the way in which we go through life. Even through the trials of life. Well, I tell you, our, our response for trials can be one of two things. It can either be, um, woe is me, this is terrible. Somebody please pray for me. Somebody please talk to me. I just can't get over this. Or it can be, God, what do you have for me through this? It's Peter who directs the attention to the readers upon this. And that is, to begin with, he says, well, how do you get through the trials? He says, through the power of God, verse 5. Who are kept, you who are strangers, you who are scattered, you who are under persecution, are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. You know, God never truly removes us from a trial, but yet he gives us the power to go through trials. Can I say to you that when we consider Christ's return, our minds should not be so much upon the circumstances and or the trial, but upon God would you give me power to go through this because you are in control, because you know what I'm going through. 
because you have a reason for it. You may not be going through a trial right now, but I guarantee you in time to come it will happen. You say, Pastor, that's terrible. Why are you wishing that on me? That's just life. And you realize that trials come uh, as a result, first of all, of our sin nature. Okay? We're not perfect people. There's not perfect, we don't live in a perfect world. There are things that happen. Death of a loved one, uh, or um, the loss of a job, or the loss of finances, uh, or um, anything for that matter. The trials that come into life are only as a result of sin in this earth. So our focus in trials should not be upon God, would you just take away the storm from my life? But God, would you give me the power to go through? Give me the power to go through. I need you in my life. I'm trusting you in my life. I tell you, trials will come. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And what? Lean on to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Maybe today you're going through something in your life. Maybe somebody you know and love is going through something in their life. Could I assure you, could I promise you, God can give them the power to go through that trial. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? The Bible tells us His mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful. And He does not forget, especially does not forget His children. I wonder, maybe you're going through something in your life and you say, I just don't understand why. Well, the first question is, that you should be asking yourself is, do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Because if you do, then you should already understand why. And that is, sin nature, God is in control. If you don't know that Christ is your personal Savior, could it be that you just simply need to come to know Him? The Bible tells us that God watches over all of us, but that instruction that promise is specifically given to his children that is those who have admitted their sin before god and put their faith and trust in him the word of god tells us christ could return at any moment at any time are you ready how do we get through trials with well through the power of god peter assures this even further in verse six he says wherein ye greatly rejoice though now for a season these, these trials are seasonal. Just like we get the weather seasons, you know, everyone's starting to think a little bit towards the fall, winter time right now. Some of us are just dreading it. Right? And those of you weird ones who are looking forward to the tons and tons of snow that we get, right? But uh, uh, those change of seasons. Sometimes the season is beautiful. Sometimes it's stormy and rough. Sometimes the season is, is just, I never want it to be gone. And other times it's like, man, will the summer ever come? You know, <laughs> will, 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 the, will, the, uh, will my yard ever look green again? You know, we, we ask ourselves during the seasons of life why these things are happening. But I say to you, they are seasonal. They are seasonal. If you know Christ as your personal Savior, your life that's lived for him should not be based upon your circumstances, but it should be based upon your relationship with God. Amen? Yeah. But I say to you, let's think in context of the people here, and that is the persecution which they were going under. Uh, how, how true it is that we live in a world that really hates God, things of God, 
the promotion of God, even the uplifting of God's name. Don't be embarrassed of the name of Christ, amen? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. May that be our testimony. May it not be something which we are ashamed of others knowing about our Christianity, about our faith in Christ. I don't think truthfully that for any of us as believers, it's that we, we are afraid necessarily because we don't live in, in praise the Lord for, we don't live in a country where there's such persecution that Christians are being arrested and hung. But we're not, maybe, the truth is, we're not maybe so proud to share of Christ. Or we don't so treasure and value Christ that he's one of the first things that we look forward to sharing with anybody that we don't know that believes in Christ. And for somebody maybe that we've already shared Christ with, that at the very least we're seeking to live in such a testimony that might bring them to Christ. The Bible tells us trials do come. They're seasonal. The Bible tells us God gives us the power to go through them. But what kind of trials are these? He tells us in verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That word temptations is not speaking of temptation to do wrong, but it's speaking of the trials. That word manifold means, literally means various colors. Various colors. Think about that for a moment. Peter uses this word with a, with, for us to understand the variety of trials. Some are more colorful than others. It's interesting when you study Scripture that Peter uses this word only one other time, and it's, it's to describe the grace of God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 10, just a few pages over. The Bible says, As every man hath received the gift... Even so, minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. These are not my words, but one commentator put it this way. Our troubles may be many colored, but so is the grace of God. Amen? There is no color in the human situation which his grace cannot match. It's no reason I don't believe that Peter used this word and in the same way used it for the grace of God they are parallel to one another. Thank God for His grace. Amen? The true trial which we deserve is punishment in the eternal hell. That's what we deserve. Praise God for His grace. We think we have it bad. God gave His life upon a cross. Don't ever forget what Christ has done for you. The grace of God, we heard about it in the song, the goodness of God should encourage you. Amen? It should encourage you. It should bring you out of that pit of depression, of, de of, 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 of frustration, of weariness. The Bible tells us these are manifold trials, but verse 7, the Bible tells us they're refining trials as well. Look at verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, this is that first of those things which he brings out. He says, look, we talk about these last times, and the first, let's understand first that in last times there will be trials. There will be difficulties. And some of them 
will be manifold. They will be colorful. They will be hard to get through, but God will give you the power to go through them. And other of them will be refining. God has specifically given them to you to strengthen you. Notice the, the uh, picture that he gives. He says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire. You think about it in this sense. First of all, gold, when gold is purified, it's heated to remove all of that which is not pure out of it. But at the end of the day, gold itself on this earth will be nothing in the last time. When we go to be with Christ, and we stand before Him someday, every believer and every unbeliever, what will be seen for the trials that we went through? What will be seen out of our, out of our own pursuits that we tried to get through them? What will be seen that we depended upon God and trusted God and let God do His refining work? You see, the world's trials are not meant to take strength out of us, but rather to put strength into us. Amen? I don't know what trial it is maybe you're going through or will go through, but there will be manifold ones, and there are refining ones. Let God strengthen you through them. Well, I know some of the hardest of times uh, for me are, are some of the times that I feel like it can... It can if I let God speak to me and work in me and refine me for what, through what he intends to do, they're life-changing things. They're life-changing things. My truce, I had surrendered to ministry, but my true surrender to ministry uh, was, was really not until about my second year of Bible college, having already studied in Bible college. But going through a trial, God brought me to the end of myself, and me, me choosing in my own pride to let go of what I wanted and what I wanted to do in my own desires and let God do the work. That was a life-changing thing. I know uh, my wife and I's uh, first child we lost together, and that, that was a, a life-changing thing. One of those things you, you don't forget. And even the journey which you go through during that time, it's not easy. It's hard. But it changes your whole life. In fact, it changes your, old, your whole testimony. And your relation with others. And in your understanding to others. You see, God has a refining, purposeful work in every trial. But we can either choose to let him do that work or to just drag ourselves through the mud with it. And boy, it's unfortunate that some Christians just do that. I mean, they're just like Eeyore's. They're just, okay, just everything's just, woe is me. Well, truthfully, if we just dwelled upon the sins of life, we all should be reacting like yours, right? But sin is the result of all of the trials which we go through. And that's why Peter, if you caught it there in that passage, verse 6, he says, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Rejoice through the trials. Somebody says, how in the world am I supposed to do that? Rejoice for what God has given you. God's refining you. God's giving you power. God's giving you grace. God's giving you mercy. God still loves you. That's enough. Amen? God is faithful. The Bible tells us what trials come. They're manifold. They're refining. When do they come? They're only seasonal. And how do we go through them? It's through the power of God. But I say to you, now he takes this on a flip side and where he used 
what we might say in the English language, the word temptation is be speaking towards that of sin, yet now he refers to the temptations of sin in verse 13. When you see a word wherefore or therefore in Scripture, that's where you always ask yourself, why, what is the therefore, therefore, or what is the wherefore, where, therefore? And uh, the Bible says, wherefore, so having said all this, the reasoning I've said all this, my purpose in saying all this, and now having heard all this, do this. Here's what he's telling us to do. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that it be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He refined yet again. That second thing referred to of these last times. There's trials that will come, but yet also there's temptations that will come. You're going through the trials, they only make the temptation that much harder. Think about that for a second. We go through trials, they only make temptation that much harder. In order to keep my, get my mind at ease and at peace, I need to do this drug. Or pornography eases my mind. Or this sin eases my mind. But I say to you, that's the first thing he brings to our attention. Gird up the loins of your mind. Because that's the very thing which Satan is going after. You remember in the Garden of Eden, what does Satan do to Eve? Well, he tempts her, but he tempts her and goes right after the mind. Hey, you'll become like God if you eat of the fruit. Well, you, 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 will, uh, you will understand and think as God does. Wouldn't you like to have that? It would seem to me that that was one of the main things that was on Eve's mind when she first reached for that fruit and then gave it to her husband Adam. It started in the mind. I think most of us would understand and know, but what is that illustration that's given of girding up the loins? As in Bible times, they would wear those robes and there was that girding process. They would literally roll up the robe in order and so that they can move their legs more freely. Gird up the loins of your mind. What is he trying to say here? The Bible tells us that girding process is uh, not, letting our, uh, not letting a slackness or a looseness take place in our mind. Think about that. You're just tightening it all up. Tightening it all up. This is my focus. God is my focus. I'm not letting it all loosely flow, so to speak, the robe. I'm girding it up. What does he continue to say? He says, be sober. We know that's talking about self-control in that sense. It, also, it literally means to be steady in your mind. We also would think of the word sober, even in today's language, referring to the opposite of being intoxicated. In other words, what is Peter saying? He's saying, refrain from intoxicating thoughts of your mind. Tighten your mind. Keep your mind focused. Don't let yourself be loosely thinking, upon, aimlessly thinking, mindlessly thinking on things that are not bringing glory to God. It's no, it's no uh, coincidence that he says at the conclusion of this, and reminder, be holy for I am holy. He's quoting scripture. God's talking about our conversation. Protect your mind. Your mind is where the temptation to do wrong comes from. A temptation to commit sin in my own life my temptation to 
have bitterness and anger and hatred towards another person, my temptation to covet something that does not belong to me, my temptation to take time from God that truly belongs to Him, my temptation to keep my uh, finances to myself and not give back what belongs to Him, those are the temptations of the mind. Be sober, he says. Be steady in your mind. Have some self-control. You realize that it's alcohol that brings an individual's mind in into a place in which God never intended for it to be. When God created man, the mind was not under the intoxication of alcohol. You take that back in the, in the soberness. Some Christians are living intoxicated in sin. They're just letting their life flow out with sin. There's no girding. There's no preparation. There's no protection. It's seeking for any guarding of sin. Christian, if you're finding yourself tempted to do wrong, but I encourage you, first of all, come to God. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have sin that you are struggling with keeping from, know that God still loves you. God has forgiven you. Let's not misunderstand. Temptation is not the sin. But rather, it's the, the temptation to do wrong. It's the giving in to the sin. It's where we go wrong. But sometimes we don't even place ourselves in the area in which we won't commit the sin at all. The Bible tells us temptation will come. Be sober, he says. Uh, be steady in your mind. Gird uh, up the loins of your mind. And he says, notice, hope, verse 13, hope to the end. There's that word end again. The last time. For the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Live in the hope of the end. Live in the hope and the knowing that Christ is coming back. Hey, if you're struggling with thoughts that are drawing you away from Christ, think upon the coming of Christ. Dwell upon the very fact that Christ could come at any moment. That should not be the thing which God finds you doing if it's, that, if it's sin. Amen? If Christ were to return today, what would he find you doing? You say, well, obviously in church. Well, you know, it's realized to be in one place in body and another place in mind. Unfortunately, even for some of us right now, this whole morning, our mind has been somewhere else. Your mind has been thinking on something entirely different than what God intends for you. What you've allowed to happen is Satan, you've allowed Satan to distract you and you bring you exactly from what Peter is trying to tell the church <laughs> himself. Christ is coming back. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get serious about living for God. If Christ were returned today, what would you be found doing? Would you be found faithful? Would you be found dwelling? Notice how he puts it. Upon the hope to the end. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Aren't you? Amen? Would God find you looking forward to the end? Would God find your mind, your heart, your body, 
hoping to the end. That's not a hope, like I, I just, I think it's going to happen, I'm just really hoping, it may not, but no, it's, it's a confidence, that's that word hope is what it means, a confidence until the end. I know that Christ is coming back, and I'm ready for it, and I'm preparing for it, and in the midst of my life, I'm letting all of my life glorify God. I realize that when we think about like the percentages earlier, Truly, 25% or so of our life is given towards sleeping. Uh, you know, it's not like uh, uh, you can do a lot more than just sleep when you're sleeping. But what about that other 75% of your life? Think about it. In, in every, every individual, just, just breaking it down this way, every individual is given each year 365 days in a year. For each of those days of the 365, how many of those days are you hoping until the end? How many of those days are you working? How many of those days are you leisuring? How many of those days are you traveling? What percentage of our life is given to God? And he says, well, 100%, Pastor, of course. I'm committed to God. Well, your commitment to God between you and him is defined by your desire. Somebody says, well, I have to work to live. Obviously, yes, absolutely work. Don't not work. <laughs> but you can still hope to the end while working. Amen? And by the way, while hoping to the end while working, you can still be a witness to God while working. Amen? And by the way, while hoping and witnessing to God, you can also have a testimony that glorifies God and that rejoices. It's not found as being someone who's weary and upset and frustrated continually. Not even the unbeliever wants to be around somebody like that. The Bible tells us that we, we know that trials will come. We know that temptations will come, and they'll come in the mind. But the Bible tells us then of, of the manner in, in which uh, the, we are to have. Look at verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The Christ-filled life is a life of obedience and holiness. The Bible tells us, But as he hath called you, God has called us to be holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, not speaking in the English uh, 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 de definition, of our, just our words, conversation in the original text is speaking of our life in all manner. He doesn't say all of you need to be in ministry. God has called you all to be pastors and to be missionaries. No, he says all manner. That word manner is defined differently for all of us. How you glorify God, what you are serving God in, what ways you are serving God differ for all of us because all of our occupations are different. All the people we work with are different. All the places we live are different. And so therefore, your testimony before God in the midst of trials and temptations are going to be, yes, those the same, but different in their manner. Different in their manner. The Bible tells us, be holy. We think about that word holy. The root word literally means to be different. To be different. 
We think about, in Scripture, the temple. It was declared as holy. We call even maybe the church here, this is a, a holy place. This is where holy things, different than the world things, are to take place. We talk about the Sabbath day, Sunday, and God has declared it holy. It is to be a day that is different from all other six days of the week. Distinctly different. Different things. Different focus. Different attention. But God takes it all the way and right back to the individual. God says the Christian is to be holy. Different. Not like the world. Distinct among others. That when they go through the trials, when they go through the temptations, their response is not of weariness to the trial. It's not of giving in to the temptation, but rather it's hoping until the end. Why? Because they've girded up the loins of their mind. They've gotten serious. They've, they're not intoxicated with the sins of this world, but they've, got, they've, they've sobered up. <laughs> they're hoping until the end. Could we consider just for a moment yet again what that end is? The Bible tells us lastly in my notes here, Judgment will come. Judgment is coming. And judgment is coming for all of us, just the same. I was reading, I know I've read this before, but it's been a while, about uh, Dale Earnhardt. Anyone uh, um, follow NASCAR? Any NASCAR people, okay? And um, Sunday, February 18th, 2001, NASCAR uh, had lost one of its greatest drivers, uh, also known as the Intimidator. Uh, but he was thir in third place on the last lap of the D Daytona 500 when his car was tapped from behind and it sent him head-on in a wall at 180 miles per hour. In a matter of moments, it was evident that something was terribly wrong, and Dale Earnhardt died in that crash. On the following Monday, an autopsy reported and revealed that he had died of blunt force trauma to the head. Some have suggested that if Earnhardt had been wearing his head and neck safety device that he would have survived the crash. Although he, among others at that time, uh, they would not wear it. They neglected to use it. And truthfully, had he not neglected to use that, it maybe could have even saved his life. Could I say to you, you might be here today and the very one thing that you're neglecting is the salvation of God. What I mean by that is a relationship with God. And if Christ were to return today, would God find you to have given your life to him? Would he find you as a child of his? The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means any individual, any man, any woman, any child, any individual who understands that they are a sinner before God and they put their faith, not works, their faith and trust in God alone has that promise and eternal security of knowing that heaven is their home for all eternity. If you were to die today, do you know that heaven would be your home? If Christ were to return today, would you be one of his children that would be taken up to be together with him in heaven? There are two different forms of judgment when we consider uh, what, what is to take place, so to speak, in heaven. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's the great white throne judgment. It's at the great white throne judgment that every unbeliever will stand before God and God will open up the book of life to see if your name is found within it. 
your name is not found in it. The Bible tells us that the eternal life which the unbeliever will spend is in hell if they never put their faith and trust in Christ. Someone says, how can a loving God, why would a loving God send people that he supposedly loves to an eternal hell? It's sin that sends us there. The Bible tells us that in the very beginning when sin was committed by Adam and Eve, the very first man and the very first woman, in the midst of a perfect world, that sin was inherited and has been inherited by all of us as mankind. We need Christ. God says, in the midst of our sin, God says, I realize that, that, uh, uh, that you've committed sin, but I still love you. So as a result, the Bible tells us Christ, Jesus Christ, came down this earth. He gave his life. He took the punishment of sin for us that we could spend eternity with him in heaven. But I say to you, that's only through faith and trust in him. I mentioned this earlier, but some people say, well, you have to do these things in order to go to heaven. Well, if that were the case, then all of us would be failing miserably. The Bible says, here's how you go to heaven. It's not even by a holy conversation, as Peter says. Here's how you go to heaven, through faith. Somebody says, well, I have faith in God. Well, it's true. You, anybody can have faith in God. We're talking about saving faith. You have faith in the pew that your pew is holding you up right now. But we're ta not talking about just simply believing, faith believing that there is a God. Many people believe in God and don't know him. The Bible tells us believing that Christ has died for you, believing that you are a sinner and receiving him into your life. That's the Christian. That's the individual who knows that if Christ were to return today, that they would go to be together with Christ in heaven. That, that they would, uh, would, would, would be found in the book of life and would be allowed to go with Christ, into heaven for all eternity. The Bible tells us of the judgment seat of Christ. It is that place in which every believer will stand before God. And it is at that place in which God will look at each of us as Christian believers, if you know Christ today, and he will say, you've been faithful, you've not been faithful, where have you served me? Will God, be will God find you faithfully serving him? You can tell a lot about a person's home or a person's faith by their home. What they choose to have in their home, what they choose to put on their walls, what they choose to listen to, uh, what, what, what even is actively happening within that home. Um, for example, you know, I, I have learned that, uh, and this is not me judging them, it's just, it's obviously there. When visiting people, that uh, if they are, if they truly know Christ, I don't know the heart, but usually it's pretty evident by their testimony. Not only in the conversation with them, but you look in their home, if you're sitting in their home, and usually, usually there's a Bible, maybe two, one sitting here, maybe one over there, maybe it's husband and wife, there's two sitting right beside each other. Usually you'll see there's things that are on the walls, Sometimes you come in, there's already music that's playing. It's godly Christian music. Uh, the television's not blaring out something, whatever, but maybe it's on softly at the very least. Uh, and and the, the home speaks of Christ. If, Christ. if Christ were to return, what would he find in your life? I remember um, 
uh, hearing poems that were written in the sense of, what if Jesus were to come to your home today? <laughs> Would you have to move some things? Would you have to put some things away? Would you have to take some things out? Magazines, movies, video games, electronics, pictures. Would you have to straighten some things up? We think of that in home, but what about the individual life? Boy, we live right in the face of God every single day without any hope to the end. God's not going to say, wow, look, you spent 50% of your life uh, sleeping and working. Good for you. No, God's looking for the faithful. God's looking for the faithful. Someone says, well, man, I've just given so much of my life up to the wrong things and I just wasted it and wasted it. It's never too late to start living for God. Amen? It's never too late. If maybe there's an area which you need to pick up in and start more faithful in, you do so. Well, what have we understood from this passage? Peter brings out to us these things. He says, hey, he talks to the believer. He says, hey, there's trials that you'll go through. God won't particularly bring you through, out of the trial. He'll bring you through the trial by giving you the power to do so. And there will be temptations but you need to guard yourself from them. And when we consider the life, the holy conversation in which we're living, the temptation is to live a life everything other than God. That those percentages of our life would be lived for leisure, for enjoyment, for work, for faithfulness to everything other than God. We're not talking about church attendance. Okay? Uh, you know, I, I, I love that people come to church and thankful for it. And as a pastor, you especially love to see when people do come and see the building filled. But before God, God's not going to look at your church attendance. If your faithfulness to God is only defined by church attendance, that's a very shallow faithfulness. It's a very shallow Christian life, truthfully. I mean, are you living to glorify Him? Is the sacrifices in life made for God? Oh, we can make so many more sacrifices for work than we do for God. Are the sacrifices uh, made more for leisure, for entertainment, than they are for God? Is God that priority? The Bible says He is before all things, not just physically, but He is to be spiritually in our lives. Does He have the preeminence? Does He have first place? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I was asked just.